Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, Nathan tells us about the strange and mysterious world of feral cattle. All across the world, once pasture-bound cows have broken free and live by their own rules. As always, expect foul language, and let's get ready for another Human Exception. Let's go next. <laughs> well, I will me. say, I will say, mine is is um, I think rather funny, so I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> I think both Girl, yours and Nathan's. I think Nathan's funny too. Oh, hey, you can go if you want, Nathan. All right. So, Hallie, I've been listening. Oh, no. To Islands <laughs> oh, of no. Abandonment. <laughs> Yes. Okay, good. I didn't do I did do it, but it wasn't a bad thing I did. Okay. <laughs> I've got I've got an hour and a half left to read in the book or to listen to in the book. And it's been excellent. I've I'm absolutely so been loving it. That one. Can you repeat Yay. the name again just cuz I think I was talking. Uh Islands of Abandonment. Thank you. Um by Cal Flynn. Um she's a Scottish uh, writer journalist um, and the book is sort of her traveling and investigating these places that have been abandoned by humanity for one reason or another um, be it that you know maybe they were um, for instance uh a um, colonization by Germany in um, in Tanzania, uh, where they were doing experiments on like bringing in wildlife and and vegetation and whatnot, uh, and then suddenly, you know, the war shifted and they just basically fucking left everything. Um, and those places were taken over by more local scientists to continue the work and then suddenly completely abandoned. Um, eventually, uh, the book rolls into uh, her going to the island of Swona um, in northern Scotland, where she encounters a herd of wild cattle. Uh, while like bulls and cows um so this island was owned by um by a family up there uh they owned this mansion that is called uh i think they she referred to it as rose manor um and at one point living on the island sort of became a little unsustainable for the general populace. So this family ended up being the last family that stayed there. 
Um, and then eventually they decided that they were going to leave. Um, so they just opened up the doors to all of their uh, stables uh, back in 74, let all the cows out, and peaced out. And since then, all of their cattle have been self-sufficient. So for uh, for like 40, well, it'll have been 49 years by this point, uh, 46 by the time that she was doing the uh, investigation when she was there. And that got me thinking, like, okay, uh, she mentions that there are, you know, wild, wild cattle all over the world, even mentions that in California, in the Santa Snow Monument, uh, which is a popular hiking trail uh, for for people that often people, uh, well, not often, but from time to time, people will get attacked by wild cattle in the area because they consider it their area. Um, so I started looking into it. And I kind of love the idea that there's just these roaming herds of cattle that just don't belong to people out there. And the idea that, you know, after a certain amount of years, that they start, start to have their own social structure and um, start sort of reverting back from almost the complete domestication of of their species back into the idea that okay now we have our own social structure humans are not a part of us um there's no longer any influence and now we kind of do our own thing and we're back to we're sort of getting back into that you know figuring out how how we work with nature um cool huh yeah so i will i've got four um sort of sets of of cattle that uh i've been kind of looking at the first one i will be dealing with is uh the wild cattle in hawaii um there are japanese wild cattle okay uh, we've got sort of semi-wild cattle in Canada. <laughs> right. And then the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. And it's that strip of islands that um, that sort of connects to the edge of Alaska almost all the way to Russia. Um, so, yeah. Um, so. In Hawaii... Um, in the forests of the Big Island. Uh, the game there is probably the most dangerous for hunters. And when you generally think of, like, dangerous big game, you're probably thinking something like, I don't know, like tigers or, you know, like bison or... or, or <laughs> Oh, moose, or a moose, right? Yeah. <laughs> but like 
No. It is the wild Hawaiian cow. All right. That is the most dangerous hunt <laughs> in Hawaii. Um, around 230 years ago, so in the late 1800s, um, a British Navy, Navy captain, uh, George Vancouver, uh, does have a, uh, have a Canadian connection. Um, he was one of the first Europeans to explore the Pacific and landed obviously on the big island of Hawaii. Um, he had left from Veracruz, Mexico, and as a gift, he had brought the Hawaiian king, Kamehameha I, some Mexican cattle. Four males and eight females. Um, basically the, the classic like red and white cow that we see. Apparently I need um, to like up my guest gifts. Jeez. <laughs> right? <laughs> Would you like some cows? Uh, so, as a, uh, um, basically what had happened is they had let them roam free in Hawaii. So, Kamehameha decided that, um, he was going to place the cows under kapu, uh, basically a hunting taboo for 10 years. So nobody could hunt or eat them or anything like that until they reached a good number. Um, so obviously, like... Cattle are, um, they're new. They weren't native to the Hawaiian Islands. In fact, like, there is a shit ton of animals there that now live on the Hawaiian Islands that were mostly just brought to to the islands, right? Like a lot of their, a lot of their, um, wildlife is just there because humans decided so. Um, so also Hawaiians, like the, the largest animal that they had ever dealt with was the domestic pig. So they didn't know how to build enclosures for cows. Oh. Um, Cows would just like break out of their enclosures whenever they felt like it and just run off into the mountains. Um, but like they figured it out, they lived, they started building their, um, their life kind of thing. Uh, eventually, uh, the king Kamehameha the third lifted Kapu in uh, 1830. But by then, um, the cows had basically established their community in the forest. And by 1846, there were 25,000 wild cattle. That's in addition. That's, that's in addition to the cattle that the Hawaiians had managed to keep domesticated and in pens. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Right. <laughs> so, um, after a, uh, after some time, obviously the cows were wreaking havoc on Hawaiian settlements. Um, some bulls like can grow horns that are obvious that are like six feet across. 
Uh, so like <laughs> fucking massive monsters just rampaging farms, injuring, killing people and horses. It happened all the time. Um, there was a Scottish botanist named David Douglas, um, uh, who the Douglas fir was named after. <laughs> uh, he was killed by a Hawaiian bull in, uh, 1834. So eventually, because all of this was so insane, they couldn't keep a handle on it. Um, Kamehameha III asked for help from where the Mexico, uh, where the um, the cows came from, from Mexico. So they brought in uh, Mexican vaqueros uh, or cowboys, um, and taught. So the Mexican cowboys taught the Hawaiians the skills that they needed to deal with 2,000-pound horned beasts that never belonged on their island. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was like, yeah, this is a curse. Right? Uh, so the interesting thing is with bringing the Mexicans over um, and, like, teaching them basically how to be cowboys, uh, it, like... Introduce a, a really fun and like interesting mix with the Hawaiian and Polynesian culture uh, that sort of you wouldn't really expect. So, like the ukulele that is mostly associated with Hawaii was the result of the infusion of cowboy culture. <laughs> um, I see that and, one coming, right? Uh, and obviously with, you know, having the Mexican cowboys there and helping them out, um, you know, you started getting Hawaiian cowboys. Uh, so obviously, um, the, it, it didn't do much to like stymie the, the growth but it did help people sort of figure out how you might wrangle and reduce the damage. Um, it, it, they had been like, they'd been around for, well, almost 50 years by the time they had called in, um, the Cowboys, I guess. So yeah, about 50, about 40 years by the time they called in the Cowboys. And, like all they could really do is use their new skill, newfound skills to keep them away from making just an absolute mass of fucking everything. Um, but again, these cattle just, um, persisted. Uh, these days, again, the cattle are still, still around. Um, hunting them is legal and it is unrestricted, uh, as long as you are not on private land or protected public land. Um, and because they are so prominent and they are so, uh, like you have these 2000 pound chunks of beef coming at you just 
ready to gore you or trample you or destroy whatever's in their way. Like they, um, they do have calls for cattle hunters to come and just like clean out certain areas, um, that are active for, uh, like popular areas for hiking and, and so on. Um, they even do, um, like population control through like airborne shooting sometimes. Um, which is like, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, but like, obviously, you know, local hunters who, who grew up with the cattle, um, are like, yeah, not, not okay with that. Um, and this is sort of a similar, uh, situation in, uh, in New Mexico. Um, New Mexico has a, has a feral cattle population and the, the federal government is sending in, uh, airborne hunters what? to get rid of the feral cattle, but the issue is, is that if you're an airborne hunter, you're not stopping to pick up the carcass. You're just letting it rot. You, you kill and leave. So, so it's not even the, a fair fight then. Well, no, absolutely not. Um, but the, the federal government is like, oh, well, it's destroying, like having them around is destroying the ecosystem and is destroying everything that's, that's good for, for the, for the country. But like local um, farmers and wildlife federation in New Mexico are like, oh, okay, well, you're just coming into our, pl into our home and shooting shit and you're not doing anything to clean it up. So hold the fuck on. Um, unfortunately the state has been, um, not the, the federal court has not supported them in their maybe we should stop the federal government from coming in and leaving garbage on our, on our front door. Yeah. And it's like, um, why waste it when that could be food? Like, even if you don't want to like yeah. sell it on the market, like you could, you know, donate it to food shelters or some shit, right? Like, yeah. Well, I mean, like food shelters wouldn't take, well, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just yeah, donate yeah. it. But like donate it or do something it, constructive yeah, with it. Like, be... Exactly. exactly. Ranchers are like, just... let us try and brown them up. And the government's like, nah, we're just going to send in helicopters. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Because that makes a ton of sense. When yeah. it's just, that just seems so. I, I don't. I, the population control is one thing. We do that here in the Midwest with deer. Um, yeah. if, if there's suddenly a boom in deer, uh, because deer are prone to ticks. Yeah. Um, so the more deer, the more ticks, the more problems that you have, obviously, with things, you know, like. Lyme disease, yeah. Um, uh, but they don't send in fucking helicopters. Mm -hmm. The shit. Well, yeah, you just increase yeah. the lottery for like the hunting licenses and stuff, right? Yeah, like... yeah, it, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Ugh. Um. So, uh, stepping stepping back to the Hawaiian, um, uh, piece. Uh, interestingly enough, um. Obviously, cattle, non-native species, um, that the the idea is that like they're they try and call them 
because they don't think that the ecosystem can support the cattle. Um, but having them obviously there for 200 years, you probably have a bit of like um, adaptation. Um, they still are considered an invasive species, uh, but then every single um, mammal on the islands are an invasive species. Uh, so a couple centuries ago, you didn't have pigs, you didn't have rats, you didn't have dogs or cattle. Um, you basically just had uh, you had insects and birds basically as a as a food source or um, or fishing. So it, it kind of comes down to like, well, if you're going to eradicate one mammal, do you eradicate all of the others? Um, so yeah, uh, giant fucking herd of cattle in Hawaii. Um, they are obviously uh, causing some erosion around the island's edges. Um, you know, they could, in some of that erosion, it could be negatively affecting the underwater uh, like the ecosystems, like the coral reefs and so on. So mm -hmm. they are still trying to like kind of figure out a way to to sort of protect everything. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot to manage. Um, and you have to think like when you're when you're shooting a deer that weighs maybe up to 180 pounds you'll get like 75 pounds of meat, right? 75 pounds-ish. A bull could weigh up to 2,000 pounds. Oh my god. And you're going to get about 800 pounds of meat out of that. So oh like, what god. the fuck do you do with so much meat? <laughs> so that's another issue, right? Like you, you're like, okay, well there's all of this to go around, and then there's almost too much to use. So, like, how do you deal with all of that waste? Yeah, like, again, yeah, like, controlling the yeah. population is important, but also, like, if you suddenly kill a bunch of it, it's going to cause other issues. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we're actually going to move to the coast of BC, actually. You know that place? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, the, on Vancouver Island, shout out to Courtney, who's not here today, <laughs> um, a, there is a group of wild cattle, um, who are, uh, who sort of live on the beach of uh, Opitzat's Beach uh, in the Quelequat Sound. So that is around um, kind of like the Tofino area. So the the west coast of uh, Vancouver Island. Now, um, most of the people that... Uh, that live there, they just, they don't care. Nobody, nobody in the area gives a shit about the cows. Um, 
going to post this picture of the cows just roaming around in the in the ocean water. Oh. Okay, but that's so the cows house there. part of the landscape. It's a pink house. It's a very pink house. Yeah. Um. So, in the early 1900s, um, <laughs> missionaries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the tr- tried to turn the West Coast first uh, indigenous folks from fishers into farmers. Like, I don't know why. Um, Shit. They just brought over cows. This is what we do. And we're like, is right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, they they met with the Tlalequat First Nations um, group, basically, and and was like, "Here, you know, here's some cows. This is a present." Blah blah blah. Uh, and obviously, they were like, "But why? We've got we've got the ocean." All of our food is there. Um, so they really never just, they just didn't do anything with them. Uh, they just left them alone. They were like, yeah, whatever, go do your thing. Um, uh, so like, you know, from time to time, if there was like a giant, if there was a big need, um, sometimes a cow would be allowed to be taken from the group to feed a very large group of people. And then there would be like this massive stew basically as a, as a, as a community event. But in general, they just left, let them to roam. Um, because like they didn't need them. Um, so these cows essentially became part of the local wildlife. Um, the community stopped like mowing their lawns because the cows would just <laughs> run through the yard and eat the grass. Um, but if it was in low tide, you would see the cows out in the water eating like, um, like seaweed and stuff. Seaweed and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like this this group, they'd be eating like eelgrass and um, other like long leaves that would show up, seaweed and and all sorts of other stuff. Um, yes, they probably they probably like you know you give cows and horses like salt licks, so they probably liked it. Yeah. Um. At at one point, like the um. Like the local local folks were like, oh well, you know what? They look like they're getting a little thin, and we should probably just like, you know, feed them something, right? Maybe maybe let's spend some money and and get uh, um, hey? you know, like get some hay in there, right? So they got some hay from from Port Alberni, which is a, a local community a little more uh, inward on the island, and then the cows were just like, no, we're not into it. But it's really good to sleep on. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 
uh yeah it was yeah it's kind of it was kind of like this this weird thing um but the cows in in this area have basically just sort of become part of the community um they don't really I, they're not really like from what it sounds like they're not like a huge burden on on the area they're just like okay we're gonna eat the grass that's available we're gonna eat the seaweed we're just gonna hang around um and yeah like uh, they eat a lot of the like same stuff that you would gather from the ocean or whatever that like the humans eat and there's an abundance of it so yeah um supposedly um the uh the cows were sent uh, to like benefit the miners uh in the local area but um eventually the mining in that area was abandoned because there was a coal mine found in Nanaimo, which is on the east coast and easier to get to, or the east coast of the island and easier to get to, and was a lot cheaper to mine in the area. So they just turned the cows loose and they became their own kind of thing. Um, and obviously these cows aren't, like, because they're wild, they're not, like, bred specifically to be, like, beef or milk cows they're not particularly good at either no one's breeding them so like at this point um you just have this like herd of about a hundred cows that just kind of wander around and mow people's lawns um you know uh at one point because of the hunting uh because of the natural um habitat that they're living in um they only had like uh i guess the the herd had dwindled down to about 16 cows in um in 2008 um a wolf had taken one of their bulls so people were like afraid that maybe the the herd would like die out um, but one of the, uh, one of the cows ended up having two calves, a male and a female, um, which eventually helped balance out the, the herd again. Uh, and as far as I know, they are still wandering around and they are still doing their thing. Living their best cow life. Um, yeah. Uh, eventually at one point, um, a a young calf had like broken a leg um and the there's this group called the care network they monitor the well-being of the herd uh and of the opposite community um so the i think in about once they were notified that this that they had found a calf with a broken leg they were on the boat in about 30 minutes to get out there to take care of the calf 
Uh, and they actually hauled it all the way out to Calgary. What? So it could get proper surgery and be rehabilitated. Um, and then this calf was brought back home. Uh, to be back with his hurt. Uh, yeah. So, like, the fact that they're taking care of this herd, even though they're not really, like, responsible for it, is really cool. Um, as, like, as if they're part of the community. Um, a, another tidbit about, um, sort of, uh, feral-ish cows in Canada is that, um, often... Uh, there is a there is a herd of cows out there that they're all branded. Um, they're all owned by someone. However, they are not. Uh, they are not corralled. They are not caged. Um, but it is a group of. Uh, fugitive cows. Fugitive cows. Fugitive cows. So, cows that have decided that they didn't want to be like rounded up in the yearly roundup, um, even though they were branded by their um, by their farmer, and like every farmer, you know, I, I say every farmer, but like a bunch of farmers have had these cat had cat uh, cows or bulls that have just refused to be rounded up, and made a break for the forest or for the hills or whatever and now there's this like herd of fugitive cows that has been roaming around in in areas of Canada um all with different brands on them all just in their own community of like fugitive cows that that just live their best life i guess um, I want that that picture book of these tattooed ca rebel cow biker gang. Right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get me, rancher. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I just, yeah, it is. It's incredible. Um, it, like Canada is very much a. Uh, uh, I don't know how to I don't know how to explain it, but it's like a very much like a domesticated cattle country, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like everyone, everyone talks about, oh yeah, fucking grade A Alberta beef, and yeah, you know what? Like all the cows that we've got and everything, they they're fucking working either to be eaten or to make milk. Uh, so it's always kind of interesting to to see. When suddenly, like, fuck, cows are going rogue. Um, it's funny. It's, it's neat. Just like the farmers are like, well, dude, I guess that's that. <laughs> yeah. Like, they've got, you know, they've got, like, a hundred other cows to fucking take care of. If one or two break for it, they're probably not going to want to wrangle, you know, a couple thousand pound thing for, you know, while the other one's go wild yeah. uh if they're not watching properly um 
So, making another move <laughs> to Japan. Um, the uh, hope I pronounce this right. Kuchino uh, Kuchino Shima um, is a breed of small feral cattle. Um, it is only found on Kuchino Shima Island in the Tokara Islands in southern Japan. Um, it is one of six native Japanese cattle breeds, and only one of two of a small population that have never been crossbred with Western cattle. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Good picture? Do you have picture? See this. This one's from the from the wiki article. Looks like um, a cow. But yeah. Looks like a cow. Looks like a cow, yeah. Um however, uh it's interesting because uh there was only ever thought to be like three sort of main breed of cow. Uh the European breeds, um I think like an Eastern Asian breed and, and one other. Uh, however, uh, they later sort of found out that in, um, in a small area in China, there is a breed that had never really crossed with any other of those three main distinct breeds that we always would deal with. And, <clears throat> eventually someone in Japan brought them from mainland China to Japan. And this would be sort of the basis of what they would use as the Wagyu beef cow. Mm, okay. Um, so these, these particular breeds um, are um uh, are are never like crossbred, other otherwise. So the there are four kind of breeds that are considered a, a wagyu cow. So the black, um, Japanese black, which is the Kuchinoshima cattle, uh, Japanese brown, pulled, and the shorthorn. Um, but the uh, in 2000, the um, the Kuchinoshima population uh, numbered only about a hundred cows. So they're they're small. They have a good temperament, but they're sort of like their size is diminishing. Um, so what they tried to do is they tried to set up. Um, like they're mostly, they're mostly like wild and untamed kind of thing, but they did try to, uh, set up like breeding stations to try and encourage the, the cows to like get in there and like have a comfortable place where they might like breed and be able to make more babies. Um, it, it, I just find it really interesting that they're like, okay, well, 
we want to bring over these cattle because they're like a special breed and they've never been crossed over with with those eastern european ones or or whatever um but at the same time they're like okay but we really got to make sure that like we don't let them die out and they kind of have their own space and they they do this uh and it i guess it really comes down to the the idea that um wagyu cows are are treated exceptionally well um and that's sort of the process that they uh they think works behind like treating the meat before they butcher them um like to the point where like they give some of the the ones that are getting ready to to be slaughtered like they give them massages <laughs> and like they just treat them they give them the best life up until they're about to die like you are going to be you are going to be given the massages you're going to be treated so good you're going to be so tasty <laughs> Um, this is why so but I think it's kind of like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, at the, at one point the herd, um, <clears throat> oh, sorry. At one point, um, there were about 1600, sorry, 2,600, um, British and continental breeds that were introduced within a 10-year period across Japan. But, um, but like, there was a ban on beef consumption um, up to a certain point. Uh, so, like, I guess that would probably have been when all of those different breeds were brought in, but at the same time, they were like, "No, no, we're still we're still keeping those apart." And I think uh, the fact that they were situated on an island that is away from the rest of them probably really helped with that. Um, <laughs> it also, um, it's also interesting that. Uh, these particular breed, like this particular breed is actually registered and is protected um, by the government because it is sort of part of like their Wagyu program. Um, so like this, it, there's a lot of like really weird strict guidelines about it. Um, but in, in general, these, uh, this like set of cattle on this island just, get to um live their uh live their life it's weird it's great <laughs> just um, having a good yeah. old cow time you know yeah uh and the uh last one the last one that i've got on here was the uh, the Aleutian wild cattle found on the Alaskan Aleutian Islands? Um, there's not a lot of uh, a lot a lot of information on these ones, but at, at one point, um, so at one point um, there was a relatively sizable population of these cattle uh, on the Aleutian Islands. Um, they are owned by and considered part of the U.S. 
population, part of like U.S. property. Um, and at one point, again, they were trying to round up or remove um, the uh, these cows from the area for fear of damaging the ecosystem and so on. Um, so at one point, the uh, basically they had a they had a a lease like the the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service um, had a lease where they were allowed to go in and round up the cattle or to kill the cattle to try and get them out of this area, um, and that was like in the early two thousands. Um, because really what they wanted to do was round them up and domesticate them again. Um, but obviously, as you do with um, large feral populations, you fail. Um, you don't do the thing. So eventually, uh, there, was, there was a couple... Um, uh, there was a couple ideas around this. Um, part of it being that there's like some native vegetation that had been impacted by farming and livestock. Um, water had to be hauled by boat to these animals to make sure that they were healthy. So like there was a lot of just, um, difficult things that humans were, were doing to try and make sure that they were cared for when really they probably just didn't need to do it. Um, so that sort of brought up the idea that, okay, well, we're going to, um, uh, we're going to try and get rid of them. Um, but that failed. And then the, uh, fish and wildlife service decided not to renew the final lease, um, to continue their work. And they just said, fuck it. We're just going to leave them. Um, so, Eventually, uh, they figured out that um, the cattle sort of had like um, the cattle that uh, lived there uh, did not actually resemble any of the cattle that any of uh, any of the producers in Alaska, Canada, or any of the Western states might use. Um, in fact, they realized that these cattle had more of a genetic... Um, they shared more genetic material with a rare Russian breed that hasn't been seen in a while. So after figuring this out, they're like, oh shit, well, uh, maybe we probably shouldn't be going in here and trying to get rid of these cattle anymore because, well, fuck, now, like, this uh, Russian Yakut cattle that people can't find anymore lives on our land, and are we going to get rid of it? Because... Like now they sort of exist again in 
in an area and they're thriving um and they're sort of like replenishing their their uh basically their line eventually after finding all of this out these feral cattle have been removed from the or uh, i guess not not the cattle themselves but the the idea of maintaining and removing feral breeds of cattle from U.S. soil has been removed from uh, the uh, Fish and Wildlife Service's agenda, essentially. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a weird thing. Um, it, this also sort of spans into the idea that there are some feral cattle in, like, Texas, which... Um, sorry, in um, uh, there were feral cattle that were brought into the Oklahoma, um, Wichita Mountain National Wildlife Refuge, um, because they, uh, they were they resembled the Texas Longhorn, which is in uh, in decline or. Yeah. Um so I think because of that that idea that you know they are trying to preserve specific species of cattle and so on that it's sort of rolled into their um overall agenda of preserving um preserving life and and uh specific breeds. So it was kind of interesting to be like oh shit uh, we were trying to round them up and domesticate them or kill them. They are not the kind of things that we would like to domesticate and or kill. So let's stop. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that is my, uh, that is my story on weird and wild cattle. Um, it's great. Cows. Cows are good. Cows. Cows are great. Cows are actually legitimately great. I just never, it's, but I, I feel the same way with pigs. We're like, oh, you know, they're so smart and they're so interesting. And then you're like, yeah, but feral. Yeah. What about feral ones? I'm surprised like, no. as much damage, enough damage by them to for people to like really be concerned about it, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Pigs have destroyed everything. <laughs> pigs are, yeah. Feral pigs are fucking wild. That's why they're that's why they're enemies in video games, you know. That's <laughs> mm -hmm. I want feral cows. Where are the are there video games with feral cows? I don't know. I don't either. Because when a, a pig runs at me in Assassin's Creed, I'm like, oh, you're going down. Bore. Just no. Yeah. Because tra tracks me and follows me, and I don't want that. <laughs> but there's no feral cows. I'm so curious now. This is where my brain went. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, cows? Yeah, because we there was all the like um, livestock animals Bobby that cows. they had in the Seattle Center. There, they had to find them from somewhere. True. That's it for this week. Next week we're back as Hallie tells us about some of the biggest product flops from Crystal Pepsi to toaster eggs. 
As always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Human Exception. Have a story you want us to cover? Want to tell us that we're wrong or just want to say hi? You can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And to get on the fun, come join us on our Discord server. A link can be found on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend. Mm-hmm.